Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome. This is our second edition of our little side project here of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. Uh, this is LTS Quick Snaps, and we're breaking down each week the two unveiled episodes of the 10-part docuseries on the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan, The Last Dance on ESPN. So, uh, Jordan, we just got done watching episodes three and four. Uh, they were phenomenal again. Uh, this is one of the best docu-series that I've ever uh, encountered, and we're only four episodes in, uh, but it has been to this point enthralling, even though we haven't necessarily gotten to the point in the series where we're seeing a lot of stuff that we haven't seen before. We're hearing some anecdotal details and, and some side stories that maybe are relatively new for a lot of people, but the general gist of this, I think for the most part, uh, we've been through right we had the 30 for 30 on Dennis Rodman and that third episode focused a lot on Rodman and his contribution to the team and a little bit of his background and then episode four was more or less the transition of the Chicago Bulls from being a project you know led by Michael Jordan and a work in progress and that transition where they finally climbed the ladder and they became a championship franchise so that's sort of where we left off at the end of episode four. But seeing these last two shows, uh, what was your top takeaway? Yeah, I think obviously Rodman, right? Uh, he was front and center of a lot of the discussion, especially episode three, and just how complex Dennis Rodman is, right? And, and like you were talking about, some, a lot of this stuff isn't brand new information. I mean, this would be down to right, his background, right? You know, getting kicked out of the house at 18, living on the streets, uh, finding his way to this small college in, in Oklahoma and then turning himself into a second-round NBA draft pick and just all of that and the complexity of Rodman and how that fit into his NBA narrative and, and how that changed a bit even after he left Detroit and how he found um, his spiritual partner in a lot of ways and Phil Jackson and, and Phil Jackson's nuances in his leadership and just how he communicated and, and how he – convinced Michael Jordan to, to buy into the triangle and be more selfless and the dynamic he had with Dennis Rodman and, and bringing in Michael to, to sign off on Rodman going AWOL for a little bit, even though it was necessarily something that they signed off on. And just all of these nuances and how Dennis Rodman is weaved into really all of this, right? And, and it was just fascinating to see the complexities of his personality, of a lot of that makes what makes – Dennis Dennis and I think those were uh fascinating aspects to explore uh in just how deep and complex he is and and how much of a thinker he really is even though he was this bigger than life bombastic personality uh he's the same guy who would ask his friends to come into the gym late at night and just shoot the ball so he could go figure out how the ball spins off of a rim and how it careens for rebounds like that's Dennis Rodman right at, at to his core in a lot of ways. And, and, and I think that as much as him taking Carmen Electra to Vegas and going on a, a ramp for whatever he did that time, you know, I, I think is as much of the story as anything else. Uh, and, and this, this physicist of rebounds that he was and, and how much he was a bright guy and, and still is not was, but is a bright guy. Uh, just, just, completely enthralled with, with all of the complexities that Dennis Rodman is. Yeah, I think his 30 for 30 covered a lot of his story, uh, mm -hmm. and certainly his transition into being more of a celebrity who had control over his image as wild and crazy as that image seemed to be. 
but this did a, a little bit more of an acute job, I think, of presenting that side of Dennis Robin and to have Michael Jordan saying, hey, look, this is one of the smartest players I ever played with. And the proof was in just how scientific he was in his approach to playing defense and particularly to rebounding. He was extremely calculated. And that was something that I think it wasn't unknown. There had been stories and articles written about it. Uh, but I think within the context of this docuseries, that was an aspect that was a takeaway for me from that third episode, for sure. The value that he had for that team and the overt way in which Michael Jordan expressed the respect that he had for the value that Dennis Rodman had uh, with regard to the Bulls. That was pretty extraordinary to me. And then you moved into episode four, and I think the, the prime takeaway for me, because a lot of it is the juxtaposition of, of being in this era of basketball now in 2020 and watching this docu-series, sort of drawing that comparison, right? You'll automatically do that, right? You'll compare the game back then to the game now. The physicality of the game back in the bad boys era of basketball when the Pistons were winning those two back-to-back -back championships and the effort that was required for the Bulls to overcome them. And I think obviously the, the very clear comparison or distinction that you can make is, hey, back then uh, they decided, hey, instead of Michael Jordan going and joining the Pistons, uh, like we've seen here recently with some superstars, or going with some of his best friends from elsewhere in the league and creating another juggernaut of a team. Mike and the boys got into the gym during the offseason and basically nixed all of their offseason plans and hopes, and they're like, we need to get better. And then we got like what was a real-life rocky workout montage, and it was MJ doing bench presses and everyone else uh, getting in the weight room as well. Uh, and just being that motivated to overcome the challenge that was presented by the Detroit Pistons. And it's a reminder. It is part of the argument that you hear when you compare Michael Jordan to LeBron James and who's the GOAT and all that stuff. And I think most of us have Michael Jordan on top of that stack. Uh, but at the same time, I do think I tend to plug into it as part of the reason why you elevate MJ because he didn't have to resort to that that wasn't even something that was a thing. Like it wasn't even considered. It was like, all right, this is the obstacle. How do we overcome this obstacle? And it was MJ saying, instead of taking punishment, why don't we become the team that delivers the punishment? Yeah, I, I think that that's a, that's a great point, right? Because you can't help but think of this era versus that era when they really hammer home those points, right? When they really explore um, the dynamic with the bad boy Pistons and, and just still how much guys like Horace Grant and guys on that team and especially Michael Jordan still have a very vitriolic view of the Detroit Pistons. Like they, Michael still hates Isaiah and I think it's great. He called I him love a people. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think it's great. It makes for great television. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. What was the thing that maybe, or a couple of the aspects of these two episodes that surprised you the most? Profanity. Uh, we, we talked a little bit last <laughs> week about, hey, did you watch the clean version? Did you watch the unedited version in terms of the language? And we're like, oh, yeah, of course, we're going to watch the, uh, the dirty version, if you will. And, and last week, the first two episodes, it was kind of, okay, yeah, we, we, we got a few F-bombs here, there, whatnot. Um, and then I, I wondered if there were some families out there who had some children who, you know, hey, we got to get Junior to watch this documentary. He's got to learn about the Bulls and Michael, and that's my error or whatever. 
And they're like, ah, which one do we watch? It's like, hey, the last week wasn't bad. It really wasn't. And then they're watching this week, and it's like, uh, maybe we should switch it over to ESPN, too. Because it wasn't just profanity. It was, like, personal insults, right? I mean, guys calling each other's names, a lot of mother bleepers, a lot of B words. Uh, and it was much more personal this week. And so it's like, I just wonder if there were some parents out there cringing a little bit, questioning their decision on showing the, uh, the unclean version. That is a part of it. And, and I was watching tonight and thinking, how do they even make a clean version of this? Like the whole thing just must be bleeped <laughs> from the very opening credits to the very ending. Uh, it is pretty remarkable for sure. One of the things that surprised me uh, was the relationship between Phil Jackson and Dennis Rodman, the, the connection that was there. And, and not necessarily the fact that they were able to forge a bond because Phil Jackson, that was maybe what made him arguably the greatest coach of all time was his ability to with all of those egos in the room, kind of create this level of connection and camaraderie between everybody. Uh, that wasn't the part that surprised me. It was when they presented his background as a player and a guy who wasn't scared to dish out some of that physicality uh, and was, was very much like Dennis Rodman, where he was different and unique by comparison to the rest of the NBA establishment. They were two mavericks in many ways in the way they carried themselves on and off the floor. And so that was something that I hadn't really gotten a grip on in anything that I've read previously. Uh, the connection that Phil and Dennis Rodman had, not just because Phil was a mastermind of the, the human psyche in many ways, uh, but also because he was kind of like Dennis Rodman in some way. I think that I would watch a 10 part documentary on the dynamic between Phil and Dennis Rodman. Like, I just think it is such an interesting pairing, right? The, these two guys who are about as misunderstood um, for good and bad reasons uh, as any characters we see in this story. Uh, and I, I just think, you know, the native American at like all of these things, it's like, where is this going? Uh, and then to see how the, those two, just bonded in how they understood each other. Uh, I think we could explore that for another couple of hours. All right. What is the thing you wish there was more of or something maybe you wish there was less of? Do you have a thought on, on maybe something that was either missing or, or, or too overly prevalent in these two episodes? Yeah, you know, I got, I got a couple of things and I think they kind of tie into each other. I could have done a little less with the, the time jumping in these two episodes today than maybe we saw uh, last week, Sunday. Uh, I, I thought it almost was backwards. And, and here's me criticizing one of the best filmmakers ever, right? Uh, in terms of documentaries. But I really thought it would have made sense in a lot of ways to do the bad boys Pistons rivalry part first and introduce Dennis Rodman that way, right? In, in, in not really exploring the complexities of Dennis Rodman because he was the bad guy to begin with, right? I mean, he was part of the bad boy Pistons and he was part of that hated group. And, and you get to the point kind of at the end, right, the, the breaking point where the Bulls basically shrugged their shoulders and rid themselves of the big monkey on their back was when Rodman pushes Scottie Pippen to the ground in game four in the, the course of them sweeping the Pistons in 1991. And so it almost, I, I think, would have made sense to build that up, build that rivalry, really dig into the details there, and then explore how Dennis Rodman somehow went from bad boy Piston to beloved Bull. Uh, and and you 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 got the background on Dennis Rodman first, and then we kind of got into the Pistons-Bulls rivalry. And I, I kind of thought it was backwards almost because I would have liked to see them tell the story a little more linear in that fashion where it would have been a lot of, hey, this is, this, these were the late 80s, 
and then the 90s, and what helped turn that around was them vanquishing the Pistons like some video game boss at the end of you know, some, some player game, and then Dennis Rodman joins the fold, right? And I think that would have made such a, natu- a little more easy transition to follow, uh, and then that kind of leads, obviously, to the 1991 finals, right? And Michael basically said it. He viewed getting past the Pistons almost more cathartic than beating the Lakers in the finals. And, and I do think the 91 finals gets lost in the shuffle. And I know it was a five-game victory for the Bulls. They win four straight. That game five was epic uh, for them to clinch it at the Forum. But I, I just wish we got more of that because I think in a lot of people's minds, we think of that as sort of like old magic last legs Lakers and the Bulls just kind of running them out of the building like the, that was 31 year old magic he he averaged just under 20 points a game that season 12 and a half assists over a steal like he was still very good magic Johnson and so I, I think that gets lost in the shuffle because we get so hung up on the Pistons and and maybe that's me, me just wanting more uh, but I, I wish we would have had a uh, a little more on on the Lakers Bulls finals like it's just amazing that we don't explore magic versus Michael more, you know, and, and I get it. It gets bogged down, but that's, that's what left me wanting a little bit more. And maybe we'll get it going for it. Yeah. We might get a little bit more of that because they'll, they'll have some inclusion of the dream team and the experience there in the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. I'd imagine you'll have a little bit more of, of the conversations that went back and forth there, but I agree with you. In fact, one of the things that I jotted down in my notes was uh, I wanted to hear more details about the series with the Lakers. They sort of glossed over the fact that Scottie Pippen picked up Magic Johnson defensively yeah. and was guarding him full court. And that was a major aspect. That was a turning point in many ways of that series. Uh, yeah, I wanted more of that. Like even things as simple as I have written down here, I wanted to hear Michael talk about why he switched hands on that one bucket because it looked like he could have laid it in or dunked it. Yes. Why did he switch hands? Like, what was the reasoning there? Did he think that it was going to get blocked? Did he think Eldon Campbell was going to contest the shot? Like, what happened <laughs> there? I just wanted to hear some of that stuff because there are iconic images yes. and moments from that series. I'm, I'm with you. I think there's so much there, so much to unpack, right, between the Bulls and the Lakers and, and it, that title coming at the forum, right, this – this fabled basketball ground. Some of those details, as you mentioned, right, uh, I think are, are perfect to bring up, whether it's Scotty picking up full court, whether it's Michael, right, at game, end of game one, he has a shot to win it, basically, and he misses, right? And, and so it's like, hey, let's get into that a little bit. Um, you know, and, and the legend of Michael is this absolute clutch player. I get it, the ELO shot, and they explore a little bit of that. There's so much to unpack, I think. And we got, what, four minutes or something like that? Yeah, it, it, did, it did feel a little glossed over that particular series, which you're right. It was the first one. It was the breakthrough for Michael Jordan as a champion. And so I think it was more substantial, dare I say, than what the episode presented it to be. Uh, but again, yeah, we're questioning a guy who uh, has some pretty good stripes when it comes to directing documentaries. Uh, that said, just some of your uh, stray observations, uh, little takeaways that, that maybe are more uh, on the uh, periphery, if you will. Yeah, I, I got a few. Uh, no presidents today. We got both Barack Obama and Bill Clinton in the first two episodes talking about Michael in Chicago and, and Scotty from his Arkansas roots. Uh, which I thought was pretty cool, but but no presidents today. I didn't. I guess they couldn't find uh, you know time to get Jimmy Carter on the phone or something like that. Um, the Bulls gambling, like on the bus and on the plane. I got to imagine there's just hours of footage of that. Michael, it, it was the montage. I can't remember. I think it was episode three. It was another highlight package 
And there's one where Michael goes on a reverse layup around two guys against the Sixers. And Charles Barkley's one of those two Sixers. And he's taking the ball out. And the camera just has his face framed perfectly. And he's just shaking his head like, damn. <laughs> and I just I thought it was such a great image of Chuck. Uh, and then a couple of others where uh, the kid that Dennis Rodman gave his shoes to uh, during that last season uh, with the bowl cut. And I was like, man, that is a mid-90s haircut on a kid if I've ever seen one, uh, whatever arena that was. Uh, and then, then some of the, uh, the TV aspects, the, the size of the televisions that these world-class athletes were watching film on back in the 90s. Uh, some of those early, like when Phil and Tex Winter are explaining some things on film and it's on like a 15-inch television or something like that. I was like, man, we've come a long way when it's come to film study yeah. uh, on these. And then, uh, then you mentioned the, the, the iconic shot where he switches hands and it's Marv Alvert. Oh, a spectacular move. And it's year one of the NBA on NBC, That's which right. I think is just synonymous with Michael and the Bulls, right? NBA, uh, it was CBS, right? There's some, there's some cool old shots, right, where it's Brent Musburger and Vern Lundquist uh, when they're talking about the bad boy era because you're, you're talking about CBS having the rights then. But, but yeah, it, it, the NBA going over to NBC and Marv and Round Ball Rock and everything that comes with it is the year that the Bulls break through. And, and then, of course, basically throughout the rest of the 90s in this incredible Bulls run, it's all on NBC. Like, that's the soundtrack in a lot of ways to the Bulls dynasty. Yeah, someone on Twitter posted the open for that series broadcast. And mm -hmm. it was like, you know, Magic and Michael, and they went through the whole thing and then did the little, uh, you know, NBC Peacock graphic and then got into Round Ball Rock and was like, oh, man, I miss those days. The NBA on NBC was so classic. Uh, I had some just very random uh, observations. Uh, the story where Michael Jordan's going up to the Chicago writers right and and there were three writers who picked uh chicago to lose to the Cavs in three one writer that uh picked them to lose in four and then sam smith who was being yeah. interviewed, uh, said that they would lose in five and mj goes up to him before game five and basically points at the one who picked him in three and said uh, we took care of you to the guy that picked the Cavs in four said we took care of you and looks at sam smith and says tonight we take care of you and certainly he did with that fantastic uh, last second shot, the, the iconic moment in Michael Jordan lore. A couple of observations. Uh, these are just things I think about when I'm watching this. The, we mentioned the physicality and roughness of the game in the 80s. How would LeBron have handled the physicality of the game back uh -huh. then? Right? I mean, he's like as much of a specimen as we've seen. He is bigger than Bill Lambeer. So, like, you know, would the Pistons have been able to abuse him and take the same kind of Jordan rules approach to LeBron? Uh, it's just some things that I, I think about. Uh, another one is Michael Jordan's handles. As we're going through these highlights and as uh, we're, we're going through the stages of Michael Jordan as a basketball player, uh, are his handles underrated? Like, do we not give Mike enough props as a ball handler? Yeah, it's sudden, right? I mean, his, his ability to work that and then blow by. Uh, and I think we just get caught up on so much of he could fly, right? I mean, John Sally said, you, you got to get him when he's on the ground because once he takes air, he takes flight. He's not human. Uh, so we get caught up in, in the flashy above the rim stuff in the air. And then the mid-range game, right, where he, he's not necessarily breaking you down off the dribble. He's setting you up off the dribble, no doubt about it. Uh, but, yeah, especially in some of those years where he could break you down and then get by you and then cram on somebody, uh, it, it was, I mean, it, it's nothing to slouch at, that's for sure. 
Yeah, some of those quick in-between-the-leg dribbles. His stutter step when he was, like, in transition, I mean, that just murdered people. Uh, he was dropping bodies uh, left and right uh, with that tactic. All right, lastly here, Jordan, uh, looking ahead, uh, what are you hoping to see? What's, what's the thing you're anticipating the most? Yeah, we've kind of followed a timeline a bit, right? Now we're up to 1991, and, and so 92 brings with it another championship, but it also brings with it Barcelona. And I, I'm curious to see what we get out of the Dream Team. And I know there, there's been a lot done on it, right? The book and obviously the NBA Entertainment documentary. Um, but they, they've, they've got some footage, and I'm curious to see if there's anything new there when it comes to examining the Dream Team angle, and especially off of my joy in the pettiness between Michael and Isaiah, and if we explore that at all and the, the – the exclusion of when I say a Thomas on the dream team. And if we, if we revisit that vitriol at all. Yeah. The dream team, they did have the documentary on, on that. And so I mm-hmm. don't imagine we're, we're in for anything that's, that's too different or new or unfamiliar. Uh, but again, looking forward to an expansion of some of the exclusive footage based on the access that was given that last year. We got a little taste of it on the plane. Michael is, uh, you know, prodding Scott Burrell a little bit and, you know, giving him some heat about his nightlife. And he's saying, hey, M, my parents are going to be watching. Uh, he didn't realize it would be over 20 years later, so uh, maybe he shouldn't have been as worried about it at the time. But, uh, but yeah, like some of that stuff. I, I'm still waiting to kind of get an expansion of that, and I imagine that that's in some of the episodes to come. But so far, uh, I think you're with me here on this one. Uh, it's been a, a lot of fun to watch these first four episodes. Something to look forward to every Sunday. Uh, Michael Jordan is relaxed and as candid as you've ever seen him, dropping F-bombs left and right. I'm here for it. And we are here for you here on this LTS Quick Snaps uh, discussion of The Last Dance. We'll have a breakdown of the two new episodes next week. All right, Jordan, have a good one, man. You too, man. Can't wait for next Sunday. <laughs>